Uh, want to say thank you for the opportunity to continue to pray for missionaries. Jordan led us well in praying for another RTIM missionary this morning, and they are from Redeemer Church in Abilene, and I snapped a picture and sent it to uh, my friend Jason Gray, who's the pastor there, also a, a pillar church there, and he uh, sent his thanks uh, for praying for his own sheep among his flock that are far from them uh, this morning. So uh, uh, thank you for the opportunity to pray for, for others. Uh, I've been in this situation a lot, but I wonder if you have as well, where you just didn't understand something. I confess, I've been in that situation way more than you because I just, I just don't get it a lot of times. It could be uh, people talking way over my head. Uh, it could be people talking about me, but I didn't really realize that. That's what's happening in our text this morning. But there are lots of times I'm just, I'm just clueless. I just don't understand. And I remember uh, one of those times being uh, in seventh grade, and I made the, uh, the big transition from private Christian school uh, to public non-Christian school, uh, very much so. And uh, good old faithful Mr. Berger uh, teaching seventh grade uh, math class uh, realized that I and many others did not understand the uh, Y equals X plus B kind of algebraic equations and proceeded to assign literally hundreds hundreds of math problems per night. And, and I, I could not figure this out. I, I couldn't understand how to get the X over there uh, and how to move things over back and forth. And then, I mean, it was like a light bulb. I, I just remember saying, oh, so you just do that? Yes, my mom probably said, yes, just do that. I'm like, oh, okay, I can do that. And then hundreds of problems just zooming by. But like, weeks, uh, nights just going by not understanding. I got to seminary and it was the same thing. Uh, there were students who had gone to Baptist Christian college coming into seminary that knew all of the words, all of the uh, ologies, all of the isms, and all of the positions that you could have known. And I came in not knowing anything, thinking my professors were speaking foreign languages and writing words down, just not understanding. And so I feel like I've been in this situation where John tells us in verse 6, this figure of speech Jesus used with them, but they did not understand what he was saying to them. And Christian realized that was you up until the point of your conversion. That we may have known some truths about God, but we did not know God until he opened up our eyes to see him as he really is. We, we may have understood with our mind, but we did not understand with our, our hearts. And that's John and I think God's description of the Pharisees in this passage. For up to this point in John chapter 9, Jesus had left the temple in John chapter 8 and had been passing by and came upon a blind man and ended up healing that blind man who uh, began to grow in his awareness of who Jesus really was, thinking at first, well, Je it was a man named Jesus who healed me. Well, he must be a prophet. He must be sent from God. Who else could do these kinds of things? And I don't know whether or not he's a sinner or not, but he must be from God all the way to the point where Jesus asked, uh, found him found him in his unbelief and asked him, do you believe in the Son of Man? And he said, who is he that I might believe in him? And he said, it is I. I am he. And the man came to faith in Jesus. His physical eyes had been opened, but now his spiritual eyes were opened. For He came to realize who Jesus was and put his faith in Jesus in that moment. But the Pharisees, they're still holding that, that, that they can see. And they're questioning Jesus. Are you saying that we're blind? And Jesus said uh, just before this in John chapter 9, uh, in verse 40, they ask, are, you, are we also blind? And Jesus said to them, if you were blind, you would have no guilt. But now that you say we see, your guilt remains. And so Jesus, on the heels of this 
healing and sign showing that he really was the Son of God, the Son of Man. And this one former blind man comes to faith in Jesus, even with the Pharisees unbelieving in Jesus, Jesus enters into this discourse um, teaching and preaching to specifically the Pharisees who are around this blind man in John chapter 9. That's the context for us. And Jesus, for the 15th time, and it will not be the last time, he attempts to set apart what he is saying as the truth compared to what they're believing as a false narrative. And so he says, truly, truly, amen and amen. I tell you the truth, Jesus uh, begins speaking to them. And here, uh, if you're taking notes, would be uh, really an introduction and an overview to these this metaphor and this figure of speech and these themes that Jesus is going to expound upon a little bit later. Uh, and so if you're taking notes, you might jot down verses 1 through 6 being a contrast between, between true and false doors and shepherds. Jesus gives us this introduction which really becomes a contrast between true and false doors and shepherds. And if they would have got it the first time, he may have not had to give uh, the rest of the discourse in, in seven and following, but they didn't get it, and so he, he explains himself more, which we're benefited by. So in verse one, truly, truly, I say to you, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door, but climbs in by another way, that man is a thief and a robber. And he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. And to him the gatekeeper opens. The sheep hear his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name, and he leads them out. And when he has brought out all of his own, he goes before them, and the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. A stranger they will not follow, but they will flee from him for they do not know the voice of strangers. Now, you, like me, are probably less familiar with sheep and shepherds and sheepfold than those who were in the crowd that day uh, and those whom John was writing to uh, that day. Uh, I became aware of how unaware I was of these things when in college I got the opportunity as kind of like a, an excursion to the mountain bike trip uh, around Austin to go to a ranch uh, that was one of my roommate's family ranches. And uh, just that weekend happened to be the weekend that they were going to administer medicine to the sheep. And as some young buck college students, we thought, we got this. We can wrestle these sheep. We can catch these sheep. Uh, we can we can do this. And I remember jumping into the pen and chasing sheep down to no avail, not being able to catch them or anything, and watching my friend's aunt um, call them straight to come right into the, the pen where they were to be um, squirted medicine in, in their mouth. And so being unsuccessful at the first part of that, we tried to be successful at the next part of that by administering medicine into their mouth uh, almost to lose, you know, multiple fingers and um, to, in the end of it, smell horrible um, after wrestling sheep and trying and getting spit on. And, and it just, I, I became aware uh, uh, just a little bit in that moment of, of what shepherds in Jesus' day uh, would have experienced, what, uh, what they were. The, this idea of um, sheep knowing their shepherd and not knowing the stranger and not listening uh, to them. Being able to call sheep. Maybe you've seen a video on YouTube that uh, was popular a, a while back, a, a group of teenage kids trying to call uh, a group of sheep to come over to them and trying the same call that the shepherd um, gave them to call and none of the sheep responding and all of a sudden the shepherd did the same call that all of these teenage kids had tried 
And all of a sudden, the sheep just turn and run and start uh, bellowing out their own calls back to him. And they run and, and begin flock, flocking to him. We, we don't live in that, uh, being city dwellers our, ourselves. But you can imagine this kind of situation uh, as uh, parents, uh, you get home from work on that day. Uh, you're not the thief and robber that enters in through the win back window that happens to be unlocked. Uh, you're, you go through the door, through the garage door. You enter in. You say, I'm home. Your, your, your spouse and your kids, they know your voice, and they come running so happy that mommy and daddy are home for the day, giving you hugs and love and kisses and um, speaking so kindly and how much they've missed you, you know, throughout the day. That's at least what you should be doing, kids. That's uh, instruction from your pastor this morning. Uh, that kind of illustration hits home a little bit more, and it is familiar. Uh, but, but the reason these Pharisees uh, didn't understand was not because Jesus began using a figure of speech that was unfamiliar to them. Uh, this figure of speech was very familiar to them. It wasn't as if Jesus was using the new, you know, slang of the day, you know, that kids were trying to use and, uh, and that these Pharisees were the old guys and they just didn't understand when the teenagers, instead of truly, truly, Brody, would have, you know, said low-key, no cap, right? This is the kind of thing, this is not the kind of thing that Jesus is doing here and that the Pharisees are like, I don't understand your, your new slang. I don't understand your figure of speech. They understand. They understand what was wrong is that they were unwilling to apply it to themselves. They took the Old Testament truths that Jesus is referencing here and said that applies to everyone else but not to us. And that's a scary place to be for, for any of us, and it calls us to pause for a second. Christian, non-Christian alike. If you think the Word of God applies to everyone else but you, you're likely in the wrong and have a blind spot. For we all need this truth. I need this truth. As pastors of the Fields Church, we need this truth this morning. As future pastors of the Fields Church, you need this truth this morning. As sheep here at the Fields Church, you need this truth this morning. And if you're not a sheep, if you're not a Christian, you need this passage this morning because it tells you how to become a sheep and which shepherd to follow. And so this passage is really sad when John has to put in a parenthesis in verse 6 and say that this figure of speech Jesus used with them, but they did not understand what he was saying. They understood the figure of speech. They were just unable or unwilling to apply it to themselves. And the reason I know that this imagery and this metaphor and this figure of speech that's, um, that's given by Jesus was understood by the Pharisees in that day is because we just, we just sang uh, Psalm 23. It was, it's popular now. It was popular then for a reason. The truth of Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd, David said, I shall not want. This shepherd king who writes that psalm, that song would continue to be sung, memorized even by these Pharisees, and, and yet they were unwilling to take that imagery of God being the shepherd, them being the sheep, and apply it to their lives. Uh, the imagery of God being the shepherd and his people being the sheep is used throughout the Old Testament. But the passage that I think most clearly relates to what Jesus is talking about this morning is in Ezekiel chapter 34 verses 1 through 24. It's a lengthy passage uh, that I want to read this morning, and I'm not going to comment uh, on it, or at least I, I hope not to, but uh, I want to read this passage for you, and, 
and let you hear what was in their minds regarding who God is and who they were, but realize that they were unwilling to apply this to their own lives. They thought that this applied to everyone else but themselves. And so listen to Ezekiel 34. This is the word of the Lord that came to me, he writes. And notice the introduction, son of man. Remember what Jesus just introduced himself to the, to the former blind man as? The son of man. Son of man, prophesy against the shepherds of Israel. Prophesy and say to them, even to the shepherds, that is the leaders of God's people, the sheep. Thus says the Lord God, Ah, shepherds of Israel, who have been feeding yourselves. Should not shepherds feed the sheep? You eat the fat. You clothe yourselves with the wool. You slaughter the fat ones, but you do not feed the sheep. The weak you have not strengthened. The sick you have not healed. The injured you have not bound up. The strayed you have not brought back. The lost you have not sought. And with force and harshness you have ruled them. So they were scattered because there was no shepherd And they became food for all the wild beasts. My sheep were scattered. They wandered over all the mountains and on every high hill. My sheep were scattered over all the face of the earth with none to search or seek for them. Therefore, you shepherds, hear the word of the Lord. As I live, declares the Lord God, surely because my sheep have become a prey And my sheep have become food for all the wild beasts, since there was no shepherd. And because my shepherds have not searched for my sheep, but the shepherds have fed themselves and have not fed my sheep, therefore, you shepherds, hear the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord God, Behold, I am against the shepherds, and I will require my sheep at their hand, and put a stop to their feeding the sheep. No longer shall the shepherds feed themselves. I will rescue my sheep from their mouths, that they may not be food for them. Verse 11, For thus says the Lord God, and notice, church, how many times the Lord says, I, I will even. What He and He alone will do because the shepherds that he established were unwilling to do it. For thus says the Lord in verse 11, Behold, I, I myself will search for my sheep and will seek them out. As a shepherd seeks out his flock when he is among his sheep that have been scattered, so I will seek out my sheep and I will rescue them from all places where they have been scattered on a day of clouds and thick darkness. And I will bring them out from the peoples and gather them from the countries and will bring them into their own land. And I will feed them on the mountains of Israel, by the ravines and in the uh, inhabited places of the country. I will feed them with good pasture. And on the mountain heights of Israel shall be their grazing land. There they shall lie down in good grazing land and on rich pasture They shall feed on the mountains of Israel. I myself will be the shepherd of my sheep, and I myself will make them lie down, declares the Lord God. I will seek the lost, and I will bring back the strayed, and I will bind up the injured, and I will strengthen the weak, and the fat and the strong I will destroy. I will feed them in justice. As for you, My flock, says the Lord God, behold, I judge between sheep and sheep, between rams and male goats. Is uh, is it not enough for you to feed on the good pasture that you must tread down with your feet the rest of your pasture and to drink of clear water 
that you must muddy the rest of the water with your feet? And must my sheep eat what you have trodden with your feet and drink what you have muddied with your feet? Therefore, thus says the Lord God to them, Behold, I, I myself will judge between the fat sheep and the lean sheep, because you push with side and shoulder and thrust at all the weak with your horns till you have scattered them abroad. I will rescue my flock. They shall no longer be, prey, be a prey. And I will judge between sheep and sheep. And I will set over them one shepherd, my servant David. And he shall feed them. He shall feed them and be their shepherd. And I, and the, Lord, I the Lord will be their God. And my servant David shall be prince among them. I am the Lord. I have spoken. As Ezekiel writes here in Ezekiel 34, he ends uh, with the Lord's words saying, I uh, will set up over them one shepherd, my servant David. Language spoken of the coming Messiah, Jesus, who has claimed to be that very Messiah multiple times. And, and here in this passage, as we get into the further explanation of that, because they don't understand, um, Jesus shows them with that same type of language, I, I am the door of the sheep. I, I am the good shepherd of the sheep. I and I myself will save the sheep. And, and so this, this path, Ezekiel 34, John chapter 10, are ultimately pointing us to the door and the shepherd that we all need, which is Jesus Christ. It's pointing us to him. And yet the rest of uh, the Gospel of John uh, and even the rest of the New Testament, just like the Old Testament, um, use this language of shepherds and sheep to describe God's leaders um, who lead God's people. Uh, in fact, we, uh, we could see this played out in the end of the Gospel of John when Jesus, after Peter denies Jesus three times, he comes back to him and asks Peter, do you love me? And three times Peter says, you, you know I love you, Lord. And what does Jesus say to him? Feed my sheep. Tend my lambs. Shepherd my people. Um, and so Jesus passes on this imagery to pastors and uh, leaders of God's flock. Uh, but we see it even in other places. Peter uh, wrote about this in 1 Peter 5, verses 1 through 4, when he challenged uh, the elders uh, of his day and age. 1 Peter 5, verse 1, So I exhort the elders, the pastors among you, as a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed. And what is his command? What is his exhortation? Shepherd the flock of God that is among you. And listen to the kind of shepherding exercising oversight, but not under compulsion, but willingly, as God would have you, not for shameful gain, but eagerly, not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory." I mentioned that kind of fast forward from our passage now rather than later because I want to make up application through the, this uh, greater detail of Jesus' teaching to both um, pastors and shepherds of the Fields Church or those who, like 1 Timothy 3 says, aspire to, to be an elder-like man, to the noble calling of an elder, which I pray many of you men in our church uh, would aspire to and, and seek to grow in this form or fashion. But there's also application for sheep. And I want us to see that, that this illustration and metaphor was not something 
that was just used in the Old Testament or even something that was familiar to those people in Jesus' day or in John's day, but is continued to be used as an illustration for us even now, even though you don't have a sheepfold uh, attached to the side of your house, even though you don't have a shepherd's staff at, at home. This imagery is, is useful for us to be able to apply the truths of, of God's Word. And so back to John chapter 10. They don't understand. And so Jesus uh, enters into uh, an even more detailed discourse in verse 7. Again, Jesus saying to them, Truly, truly, I tell you the truth, attempting to set apart the truth Uh, from the false narrative that they have been believing. Again, they've been unwilling to apply these truths to themselves up to this point, and Jesus is going to try to do so. And in this first section, verses 7 through 10, we um, see that Jesus is the true door of the sheep. And as the true door of the sheep, first and foremost, Jesus saves all who enter by him. Jesus saves all who enter by him. Jesus uses for the third time this emphatic statement in verse 7, I am, uh, or in the Greek literally saying, I, I am, much like Ezekiel 34. I and I alone, Jesus says, am the door of the sheep, which means there is no other door for sheep to enter to be able to be um, in the sheepfold of God. All who came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. What a damning statement on these Pharisees who are listening in this moment. Jesus doesn't say some. He says all. And I don't think that means that there aren't any faithful among them, but, but to group them all together, he's saying, if I were to characterize all of you, I would characterize all of you as a thief and a robber. All of you religious leaders, uh, because you've been unwilling to apply the Scripture to your life up to this point. You have been unwilling to check your own hearts You've sought to get into the uh, sheepfold by some other way, as a thief would do through sneakery, or as a robber would do with force. Other individuals trying to get to the sheep of God's people through sneakery or through force. And Jesus is calling them out on it. If they were unwilling to see themselves uh, as the thieves and robbers in verse 1, Jesus looks them right in the eye and says, every one of you who came before me is a thief and a robber. You all need to check your hearts, he says to them. And again, he says emphatically in verse 9, I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. Jesus makes it clear that not only do these false shepherds try to get into the sheep through another way by climbing over the fence uh, or by force, uh, he's telling them that you're not only not shepherds, you're not even sheep because you yourself haven't even gone through the door. You yourself haven't even gone through it. And if you had, you would have been saved. You would have been a sheep. And from among the sheep, you would have raised up to become a shepherd that they would have trusted among you. But Jesus gives this encouraging word here. If anyone, he doesn't um, give any um, sort of uh, circumstances that you would have to follow to become a sheep. All he says that anyone who would enter through the door is considered a sheep. And that's good news. For all of us who have acted uh, like thieves and robbers or who have acted as the imagery would go like goats uh, out, in the, out in the wilderness, anyone who enters by the door uh, will be saved and he'll be able to 
go in and out and find pasture. The, the language of Psalm 23 comes up into our minds of the shepherd who leads in and out, out of the sheepfold to the pasture and from the pasture back into the safety and security of a sheepfold. This is what Jesus does for those who are his. And he contrasts that again with the thief. In verse 10, the thief comes only. Not, not only are all who came before me thieves and robbers, but now he says, all that you only ever do is steal and kill and destroy. Contrast that with what Jesus says he came to do. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. And so Jesus puts forward two things here. The first one is the true door of the sheep. Jesus saves all who enter by him. But then secondly, as the door of the sheep, Jesus came to give abundant life. Jesus came to give abundant life. And so we have these truths laid out for us here. We potentially... um, um, being more like the Pharisees than we would like to imagine, have the grace of God in, in Jesus explaining these things in more detail for us to help us to, to see um, that there is no way to enter the sheepfold of God but through Jesus Christ. Jesus will make this abundantly clear later in John chapter 14 when he says uh, another I am statement, I'm the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me. So Jesus is urging all in that listening crowd. John includes this story to urge everyone in his audience in the church of the first century. And here we're preaching through John, right through this passage, urging anyone here to enter through the door. For there is no other way to be made right with God. You might be told by other pastors and shepherds of our day that giving a certain amount of money or a certain amount of attendance or a certain uh, liturgy of prayers or a certain uh, amount of works will enable you to get through a, another door or another way in to the sheepfold when God's one and only son has said there is no other way into the sheepfold but through Jesus Christ and when Jesus says through him that he is the door what he's already explained and will continue to explain is that walking through that door means turning from your own way, from sin and self, and repenting of that, turning and walking through the door by faith in Jesus Christ and the way that he has made available to God. So if you're here this morning longing to enjoy the, the, the pasture of the Lord, the pasture of God, enter through the door, turn from your sin, turn from your own way, and turn to Jesus Christ who lived a perfect and sinless life and yet was willing to lay his life down on the cross to make a way to God for all who would enter through him and realize that there is an abundant life uh, available to all. Jesus contrasted himself with the thief who came to steal and to kill and to destroy. And it may not look like it on the surface, But the way of any false shepherd, as good as it may look on the surface, is always stealing, killing, and destroying the sheep. It's stealing from you by making you think that if you do something, you'll get something from God, which is not the case. It's attempting to kill you and and keep you from the life that is available to you through Jesus Christ. It's attempting to destroy your life right here and right now. And yet Jesus says all who come through him will be able to enjoy not only life, but life to the full, abundant life. And it doesn't mean that your bank accounts will automatically um, 
increase. It doesn't mean your boss will automatically be thankful for your sacrificial service to, to them and to the business. It doesn't mean uh, your family and friends will um, forgive you for all of the wrongs that you've committed against them and that you will forgive uh, everything uh, that they've done against you and all your relationships will be restored. And it doesn't mean that this life will be all that the world tells us it should be, but it'll be everything uh, because Jesus himself has united himself to us. And we are now safe in the sheepfold of God with Jesus as our shepherd. We are led in and out to find pasture and the food that we need day by day as he meets each and every one of our needs. He'll keep us secure with that shepherd's staff uh, when enemies attack from the outside. Our, our life uh, is secure in the Lord's hands. Our eternal life is secure in the Lord's hands. And that's good news. That's good news for us. And so as sheep, we have uh, hope to enter through the door and, and to find life. But as pastors, as the imagery will be passed on to those who lead God's sheep as both pastors and elders and uh, in, in some other smaller ways to de-group leaders as we're about to launch our de-groups in the, in the coming weeks, uh, we have to remember first and foremost, we must have entered through the door ourselves. And never forget it. And never think that we are above those whom the Lord has entrusted into our care. For we were once outside the fold of God and have been brought into the fold of God and need to humble ourselves in the sight of God, leading other people to, to do the same. We need to live, shepherds, pastors, leaders, uh, and those who aspire to be so, uh, which ought to include all of us, to live in the life, the abundant life that the Lord has us, has given to us and has offered to us. In the midst of tragedy and heartache and hardship, we need to live that life, sharing our weakness with others, sharing our hardship with others, and yet sharing the, the presence of the chief shepherd with us each and every day. Why else would any of the sheep want to follow you if if your life is no different from them and your eyes aren't on anyone else that their eyes aren't on. And so, uh, I, I forgot to mention, but one of the uh, words that uh, I came to grow in appreciation of through pastoral ministry is the, 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 fra the title that's given to some pastors or some pastors take upon themselves, which is an under-shepherd. Uh, and I love that phrase because it, it's acknowledging that there is a chief, true, good shepherd that we'll look at in just a minute and that we are just under shepherds. Uh, our sheep are never to be looking to us. And if they look to us, we're to be pointing them to the, the chief shepherd. And shepherds, leaders of God's people and those who aspire to do so, we have to be living not only as a faithful sheep, but have to be living in the life, the abundant life that God offers us through the hard times and through the good times, pointing other sheep to the chief shepherd, which is where Jesus um, goes next in verse 11 through 18. We've seen Jesus as the true door of the sheep. And here Jesus gives us another I am statement, back to back. Uh, punches here, if you will. As the good shepherd of the sheep, uh, Jesus um, notes four things that characterize um, him being the good shepherd. The first one is this, that he lays down his life for the sheep. Look in verse 11. I, emphatically, Jesus says, I and I alone am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. Um, you'll see that phrase three more times. Four times Jesus uses that one little phrase in these few verses, attempting to get it across to these Pharisees who think they're 
the shepherds of Israel. Collectively, they're the chief shepherd of Israel. And Jesus is saying, no, you're not. Not only are you not a shepherd, you're not even a sheep. I am the good shepherd. I and I alone am the good shepherd. You should have been pointing people to me, he's saying to them, but they, they don't. They should have turned to him themselves, but they don't. Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. And the good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. And he contrasts that with uh, the imagery of a hired hand. And I think this is indicting on the Pharisees. He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd who does not own the sheep, he sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees. And the wolf snatches them and scatters them. Then he explains why that happened. He flees because he's a hired hand and he cares nothing for the sheep. Jesus says, I'm the true shepherd. And everyone that has come before me flees because they're hired hands. Because when things get tough, they don't want anything to do. When When the wolf comes and the teeth are bared, Uh, they're stepping out of the way and allowing the sheep, the weakest, to be taken from the flock so that they protect themselves. Jesus, as the good shepherd, lays down his life. And in this imagery, we might think back to the Old Testament to that that shepherd king David who uh, began his life in the early early days uh, in the fields with the flocks of his father. Remember, that's uh, where Samuel found him when God sent Samuel to anoint him as the next king. He was out with the sheep. And and do you remember even as David uh, would go to visit his brothers who were at war against the Philistines and Goliath was standing there, he was willing and able to go fight Goliath, not because of his own strength or his own skill, but because of his belief in God. Because he knew his God could deliver him from, what did he say? Lions and bears, right? Uh, He had fought off bears protecting the sheep. He was willing to risk his life standing between the enemy uh, and the sheep. Uh, Willing to sacrifice himself and to be able to fight off Uh, those sheep. And it's one thing to be able to risk your life for that, but Jesus, um, in in this imagery, if we press it all the way forward and and we consider that Jesus is the chief shepherd and he really does lay down his life for his sheep and that that imagery goes all the way to the cross where the shepherd becomes uh, a sheep and, and, and Himself sheds his own blood, but as, as a shepherd, he stands between the enemy and the sheep, and he doesn't fight back. He doesn't fight back. David fought back to try to scare lions and, and bears away and to protect the sheep and to also keep his, his own life, but Jesus goes to the cross and willingly does not fight back, but lays down his life so that the enemy will take him, so that all of his sheep will be protected. He lays down his life. He doesn't fight back. And Jesus and the Gospels and the New Testament writers show us this very clearly that Jesus he came not to be served but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many Matthew 20 28 and Mark 10 45 or Jesus uh, speaking of Jesus Hebrews chapter 9 verse 26 but as it is he has appeared once and for all at the end of ages to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself Jesus, as the chief good shepherd, was willing to lay down his life for the sheep. Listen, for there would be no other door for the sheep to enter had Jesus not first and foremost been the good shepherd who was willing to lay down his life and substitute himself and sacrifice himself. And so with our eyes on 
Jesus, he really is the the door and the shepherd that every one of us need this morning. For he and he alone, as both God and man, was able to appease God's wrath and pay the, the ransom and make the sacrifice for the sins of all who would believe. Jesus and Jesus alone is the Savior and shepherd and door that we all need. And he's the example that we as pastors need. Aspiring elder, pastor, leader of God's people. Uh, If you are unwilling, if you think this is a glamorous job um, and, and think that uh, that being a pastor would be a lot of fun and are unwilling to lay down your life for the sheep uh, and, and be willing, like I described earlier, to um, you know, get them to the right place in the fold and to be willing to walk alongside them, to be even willing to be bit by them at times or spit on them by times or kicked by them at times, all the while at other times enjoying the the comfort of being with them among the flock of God, then, then you don't want to be a shepherd because it is a sacrificial thing. Another one of the images that I was challenged by and encouraged by as a, a pastor because many times, especially in our American cu- culture of church, what I'm doing right now is what most people think pastors do. And I do this for an hour, let's just be honest, okay, uh, during the week. Uh, but most of my job, most of Graham's uh, job, as a, most of Daniel's job as a, as a lay elder of our church, and those who have gone before us and those who go after us will not be standing in front of a large group of people proclaiming the truth of God. It will be sitting next to individual sheep, sharing back and forth the truth of God mourning with those who mourn, rejoicing with those who rejoice. And the imagery that was a challenge to me is that a pastor ought to smell like the sheep. And if a pastor is, uh, you know, only in his office, only standing in front of the people, never among the sheep of God, never knowing their burdens, never knowing their problems, never uh, being in their world with them, then, then he's not going to be a good shepherd. And yet Jesus didn't he do that very thing? Didn't stay on his throne in heaven uh, with God the Father, but obeyed his Father perfectly, leaving heaven and coming to earth, living the life that every uh, one of us could not live, and yet was willing to go to the cross and die in our place as our substitute, as our sacrifice to pay the ransom for our sins. Pastor, shepherd, Um, aspiring pastor and shepherd, um, we must be willing to lay down our lives like Jesus did. Not to save anyone, but because Jesus did what only he could do and laid down his life to save us, we too ought to be willing to lay down our lives so that those um, who are here to hear the word of God or who have believed the word of God might might continue in their salvation, grow in their salvation, share the good news of salvation with others. But as the good shepherd, not only does Jesus lay down his life, but he knows his sheep. He knows his sheep. We see this in verse 14 and 15. I am the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me. Again, if you never been to the sheepfold, imagine you walking into your home with your kiddos uh, or you walking into your parents' home and them immediately knowing your voice and being glad that you're there. Just as the, he says, um, and I love this comparison in, in verse 14, I know my own and my own know me just as, and that's, so, that's saying just like, Uh, The Father knows me, and I know the Father. So Jesus is saying of his sheep, I know you as well as I know the Father, whom I spent eternity past with in heaven. That's encouraging, Christian. He knows you. He knows your situation. 
And he is your shepherd leading you through each and every uh, trail that you follow, to every pasture that you need, through every valley that, uh, that he is with you in. He knows. Uh, the question is, is, do you know him? Are you able to discern his voice apart from all of the other shepherd-like voices of the world or on social media or on the news or from your co-workers or from your friends at school? It takes time to be able to know the voice uh, of the shepherd. Not just an hour and a half on Sunday morning, but daily spending time with the good shepherd that you might know his voice. And so when you hear it, and when you hear his voice calling, you're able to discern, that's of the Lord. And when you hear the world calling, to be able to say, that's not of the Lord. That's not true. That's not right. That doesn't, that doesn't sound like God and his word. And you're able to discern those things and to be able to uh, to not like certain posts uh, because of the false narrative that they're proclaiming. Uh, And you're able to like certain posts because they do proclaim the truth of God's Word. He knows us that well. Do you know Him that well? Pastor, future pastors, leaders of our groups, do you know the voice uh, of the chief shepherd that well? Do you know that well? In fact, these are questions that we ask anybody that, that we are considering to be an elder of that. Tell us how you know the voice of the shepherd so well. What does your time with the shepherd look like? How many times have you read through the shepherd's manual? Uh, what scriptures of the shepherd's manual are you memorizing right now? What of the shepherd's words are convicting to you right now? Because we are sheep ourselves. We need to be guided by those things. Jesus knows his sheep as well as the Father knows him and as well as he knows the Father. And that's encouraging. And it also speaks to the fact that there are specific sheep in the flock of God. Jesus, John makes abundantly clear throughout the gospel that Jesus, uh, in one sense, came and gave his life for the world. I think in the sense that there are people from every nation, every tribe, every tongue, every language that, that are a part of God's people and will be among God's people uh, in heaven and in eternal life. As we are going to try to communicate that message this weekend at the YMCA, uh, at their International Food Festival And to be there and to be present and to say, God sent his one and only son to save people from every nation, every tribe, every flag that is hung over there in that hallway, Jesus came to die for people among those people. And in another sense, Jesus died for the whole world uh, in that the good news of the gospel ought to be proclaimed to the whole world, to anyone who would be willing to listen. And yet Jesus makes it really clear that he knows who his sheep are and he knows who are not his sheep. That there is a flock and not everyone is in that flock. Only those who repent and trust in Christ and walk through the doorway by faith, trusting Jesus as their good shepherd, are among those sheep. And of those, he says, I know you as my own. It speaks to the particular love of Jesus to give his life for God's sheep. But there is hope for the world. Jesus goes on in verse 16 and says, as the good shepherd, Jesus has other sheep. Jesus says, and I have other sheep that are not of this fold and I must bring them also and they will listen to my voice. And so there will be one flock and one shepherd. At that point in Jesus' life, there was a true flock of God, true sheep under him as the chief shepherd. But there were many more who would turn from their way and walk by faith and repentance through the door 
believing Jesus is the chief shepherd of their souls. And they would trust him by faith. They would, look at that, do you see that? Let's just acknowledge the awkwardness here and try to shake the fly away for a moment. Okay, he's gone. Uh, there, are, there would be more. There would be more sheep that are not in that flock during Jesus' lifetime. Guess what? Every one of us is in verse 16. We were not in the flock of God in verse 15. And yet we are now many years later. And yet there are still more who are not among the flock of God. And Jesus has sent us out to be the church in the world, to proclaim the gospel, and to to invite uh, sheep of other flocks, of other false shepherds, to uh, abandon that false security and false safety of that sheepfold and to come to Christ and to His sheepfold and to trust Him. I love this verse. I love the, uh, the nature uh, of Jesus uh, making a bigger fold of that. We can see that one flock, um, one shepherd language um, told by Paul in Ephesians both in, in chapter 2 and verse 13 through 16, where Jesus uh, takes two and makes one. Jews and Gentiles and reconciles them together to be one. But then also in Ephesians 4, verses 4 through 6, where he speaks of the oneness of the body of Christ. Pastor, we must be leading our people out into the world. We too must be going out into the world and inviting any and all who would listen to us. Um, Yes, at events like Saturday at the YMCA, but we also need to be going to our neighbors and our family members and proclaiming the good news and inviting them to trust Christ as the door of their soul uh, and Jesus as the chief shepherd and savior of their, their soul. We need to be leading God's people to do that through our groups. Um, We need to be um, seeing how more and more people would come to hear the good news of the gospel through our events at the YMCA. Jesus urges us with that promise and with that truth, but he closes with this in verses 17 through 18. Jesus, as the good shepherd, lastly, Not only does he lay down his life, but he takes it up again. In verse 17, he says, For this reason, the Father loves me, because I lay down my life that I may take it up again. I don't think the Father's love for Jesus is dependent upon Jesus laying down his life. But the Father's love is so tied to eternity past with the Son, just as the Son's obedience to the Father is so tied to eternity past that you can't have one without the other. That the Father loves Jesus because he has been obedient in the past and will be obedient, as Philippians chapter 2 says, even to the point of death on the cross. And notice that Jesus says, No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. No one forced him to do this. God the Father, Jesus' death on the cross was not child abuse, as some literally theologically have attributed to it. It's Jesus willing to lay his life down uh, per the Father's commissioning and sending of him to be a sacrifice for the sins of all who would believe. No one did it. And we can see even in this, all of the times the people took up stones to try to kill Jesus and Jesus evading them in the Gospel of John. Even to the point of when Jesus is finally arrested, it is Jesus who says, who did you come for? Jesus of Nazareth, I am he. And he willingly gives his life. Even when they're beating him and mocking him and shaming him, he he questions them and says, do you not think I could call down a legion of angels and deliver myself out? But no, I willingly lay down my life and no one takes it from me. Not the Roman soldiers, not Pilate, not no one. 
No one took his life from him. He willingly did it to honor the Father and to show his love to the Father and to show his love for you. Realize that he did that thinking of you on the cross. But not only did he lay down his life, not only was, did no one take it from him, but he willingly laid it down. But he says that I have authority to lay it down and, and I have authority to take it up again. Circle and. Remember and. Because it's not just the death of Jesus Christ that we want to remember this morning as symbolized by the cross before us. It's the resurrection as well. He didn't just die for us. He rose for us. And, and that's why he's able to offer us life, an abundant life, opposed to the false shepherds who come to steal and kill and destroy. And imagine that. Imagine um, the shepherd not only laying down for uh, the wolf or the bear or the lion to destroy, but having been destroyed, take his life back up again to shepherd God's people and God's sheep. This is what Jesus has done for us. This is what, who Jesus is. He is the Savior uh, of our souls. He is the door that we all need to be able to be in the sheepfold of God. He is the shepherd that we must follow, both as sheep but also as under-shepherds. Following Jesus uh, as our shepherd and as our model of shepherding. And yet, this group of people who didn't understand the intro and overview in verses 1 through 5, most definitely understood after verses 18. Uh, because after verses 18 and into the rest of John chapter 10, verse 31, they pick up stones again to stone him, um, seeking to arrest him in verse 39. And this came about because of verse 19. There was a, again a division among the Jews because of these words. Many of them said, He has a demon, as they said about him in 848. And he is insane. Why listen to him? And yet there were others who said, These are not the words of one who, has, who is oppressed by a demon. Can a demon open the eyes of the blind? This last section is characterized by a, a division among the false shepherds. And even in that division among the false shepherds, you see a, a hint of potential belief and hope among some of them. We talked this week about this passage and, and, and Colton uh, brought up uh, the fact that maybe this is uh, people like Nicodemus who met with Jesus already and was told he needed to be born again and already questioned the Pharisees uh, already. Uh, may many false shepherds of our day uh, may their eyes be opened to be able to see Jesus as their chief shepherd uh, and the door uh, to the sheepfold of God. May we, um, church, uh, may you hold us accountable to be Christ-like sh under-shepherds of this flock. And if we never are, uh, may you as a faithful sheep faithfully apply God's word in calling out us as shepherds. Aspiring shepherds and men among our flock, would you put before you Jesus this week and every week and every year and aspire to be that kind uh, of man, that kind of shepherd? So when the time comes when this church needs to call upon more shepherds, more under-shepherds, we could call on you and see that you too have trusted Jesus as your door and have trusted Jesus as the chief shepherd. And if you're here this morning knowing that you are outside the fold of God, hear Jesus' words that any who would enter by him will be saved. Repent of your own way and trust Christ this morning and become a sheep with a good shepherd. Not contrasted that with a bad shepherd of all of those who have gone before. 
and find life in Him this morning. Would you pray with me? Father, would you help us this morning humble ourselves that we would not be like the Pharisees of verse 6, not understanding and not willing to apply these things to our lives. May we as shepherds apply the truth of your word um, this very day, this very week. May we as sheep together as one flock under one shepherd this morning apply these truths to our life asking ourselves if we know the shepherd like he knows us considering whether or not we're willing to lay down our lives and even when we're beaten downtrodden to um, get back up again in the power of the holy spirit and to continue by faith considering whether or not we're willing to go out among the world and the other sheepfolds, proclaiming the good news of um, the sheepfold of God and the chief shepherd and inviting them to, um, to turn and to repent and to come and to find life. Lord, help us, even as we attempt to apply these things this week, training as D-group leaders, going on mission here at the YMCA. Lord, refine us. Purify us. Open up our eyes that we might apply these things to our own life and open up the eyes of those we go to this week to show them that you have laid down your very life for them and taken it back up again that they may have life. Help us, I pray. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen.